Welcome to episode 325. Menopause can be one hell of a journey for some women, and that some is turning into a lot, as every year the next group of women have been exposed to this toxic, unnatural world another year longer. We really do live in a messed up world, and both men's and women's hormones tell that story very clearly. If you're in perimenopause, menopause, or just know that one day you will be, then I encourage you to get into this episode because we're talking about the medication options for hormone dysregulation, how to decide if you should use bioidentical hormone therapy and when to stop taking them, and how to identify the crap in your life contributing to this problem so that you can actually change it today. It's a good episode, so let's dive in. Welcome to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. You've tuned in because you want to start taking your health seriously so you don't, well, get sick and die. Here we talk all things health, nutrition, and human optimization. Let's jump into it with your host and resident scientist, Maddie Lansdowne. What's up, my healthy friends? Welcome to today's fine episode of the show. First, the mission, which is that in 2024, it's my mission to coach 500 people to get control of their sugar cravings and sugar binges so they can stop yo-yo dieting, stop obsessing about food, and finally create a body that they feel confident being in. And if you're a woman that's sort of 40 or 50 plus, then you may have gotten to a stage of life where carb cravings, emotional eating, and weight gain are just totally out of control, along with having massive mood swings as well. And all of that is possibly a symptom of menopause. And so I've got Dr. David Rosensweet here with me in the podcast studio to talk all about hormones and how they can end up, well, finding themselves completely out of whack and up shit creek without a paddle. (laughs) David has been working in this space since he graduated in 1971. And early in his career, he trained the first nurse practitioners in the United States. And he was also in charge of health promotion for the entire state of New Mexico. He's also a national lecturer and presenter at the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, the American College for Advancement in Medicine, and the Age Management Medicine Group. And in 2019, he was called to Washington to speak in front of the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine on the safety and efficacy of bioidentical hormones, something we're going to get into here today. And finally... He's the founder of The Menopause Method and also the Institute of Bioidentical Medicine, where he's been training medical professionals to master bioidentical hormone therapy, and his protocol has been used to treat more than 12,000 women. And hopefully, we can help you a little bit too. David, welcome to the show. Manny, great to be here. Great to have you here. I'm excited to get into this conversation. I've been doing a bit of uh, homework on you and listening on different podcasts and various things. And The thing that popped out to me first was I heard you say in another conversation that when you left medical school, you then wanted to understand healing. And so you went towards nutrition. And I was like, wow, I've never heard a medical doctor say something like that. (laughs) Yeah, I did. I, For one thing, patients were coming to me and they had this desire to get well. And I had this desire to try and figure out what was going on. And, you know, it all leads down to the causes of health yeah. or illness, and they all come down to what we're eating, what we're breathing, what we're drinking, what, how much we're exercising or not, and the toxic exposure we have. And then there's the elephant in the room, a dysfunctional response to the stresses of life that trigger the fight or flight stuff. And then there's a few mysteries in this human life of ours. But I've been a student of it. I I love it for my own health and healing. 
that mattered to me greatly. So I really dived into Physician Heal Thyself and am deeply involved with all those different things that matter so much to all of us. I'm curious, did you grow up with parents that were really oriented towards food as medicine or anything like that? Because I find that if I find it interesting how people find their path to that type of knowledge, because I grew up with my mum as a nurse, but equally she used to take us to the naturopath or to the chiropractor and then sort of on my own journey of discovering Western medicine and becoming a scientist, that was the path that I thought was not quite right for everybody and that's what led me there. Or some people have their own health journeys, Western medicine fails them and they end up there. So what was the thing that led you to be aware that nutrition and all of those things were possibly a part of the solution? Well, I grew up with a mom and dad who loved each other and had fun. And so we had a really healthy environment that I grew up with, but they were very interested in food. Like uh, my grandparents used to drive out on Sunday to the farms and they there was farm stands to get the food, and but they wouldn't stop there. They would go to the farms where you got to walk back into the farms and pick your own. So I grew up on tomatoes that tasted like tomatoes, chicken that tasted like chicken. And when I went out into the wide world, I went, something's wrong here. This is not what food <laughs> is. <laughs> right. And then I had my own healing journey. I had some challenges in relationship. And it, it really inspired me to see, can I become a man who knows how to love? Mm -hmm. And so I really dived deep into the world of emotions and consciousness. And that, that's been a devotion, a lifelong devotion for me. So coming at it in many angles. And then, of course, as you do your own healing, you get to see what people need. And so there's a story. Yeah, that I, I connect with that story so much when you said, I wanted to know if I was a man that could be able to love. I personally went on a journey to be able to do that because I felt so messed up by my life in my early 20s. And I spent, you know, the last 10, 12, 13 years in therapy and personal development and, and, and also trying to emotionally heal. And the, the trigger for me in that space was just that I had a beautiful, loving partner whom I couldn't beautifully love in the same way. And I was just a chaotic mess. And so, oh, I connect with that so much. Well, it's in my, in my heart, I get teary-eyed as you mention this, uh, because that's exactly my story. I had a wonderful, uh, loving partner. And um, I, I really saw that I was the cause of the demise of that relationship. And it was extremely humbling and extremely breakdown. But I said, Hey, what else are they doing in this life? I'm either going to figure out how to love or I'm going to at least die trying. So, <laughs> I meant it. <laughs> yeah, I totally relate to that. Thank you for thank you for sharing that. I really appreciate yeah. it. I'm curious. I get asked this question as well. Maybe this is another point that that we can both relate to is that I often get asked as a man that works predominantly with women and with women and emotional eating and and nutrition and weight loss. They say, why do you talk to women like you're a man? And I hear that all the time. And maybe that's a symptom of this social media personal brand world that we're in now where it's a bit strange. And my response is always, have you ever had a male doctor? Of course you have, right? <laughs> um, so I'm curious, how did you get into women's health? Well, I got into what eventually became functional or holistic medicine really early on. And I had a holistic medical practice in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And who's the most motivated demographic 
in the world to heal, it's the women. So I had, yeah, they want to heal, and they're the they're the, the in many cases they're the pioneers, and that's how I wound up with a lot of committed females in my practice until one of them who was in her 40s and so brilliant she had retired. Wow. She comes storming into my office one morning before office hours, pounds her fist on my desk and said, I'm going crazy. I'm telling you, and I want you to believe me. Don't pretend you think you know me. And I had serendipitously talked to a world expert on progesterone because I'd gotten interested in hormones. And this was 1993. And uh, I gave her some progesterone and three weeks later, I get a letter from her saying, oh, my God, I'm myself again. This stuff is amazing. And before I knew it, she had referred. And so I never really guided my practice. I think we're all divinely guided if we just let go. And before I knew it, I had a lot of menopause women and then their men, you know, because they wanted their men in there. So it naturally unfolded. It was a perfect fit for me. I, I needed to focus in and become good at one thing. Mm -hmm. because the functional medicine knowledge base had gotten so big, I couldn't do all things for all people. Yeah. So I chose that menopause and andropause lane, and that was a turning point for me. You, you get to get good at something when you just focus on it. So Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that. And I guess the world of health and wellness and healing is, yeah, every day with the rapid movement of science and discoveries, it's just so incredibly enormous. So. Yeah, I think focusing on a niche is, you know, so helpful. Obviously, we need GPs to yeah. sort of, you know, send people in the right direction. But yeah, it's so hard to be everything to everyone, right? Right. Yeah. And I'm glad as well in there, you mentioned the testosterone, you know, the, the men as well, because that's at an epidemic, I would say, an unknown or subtle epidemic levels, the, the low testosterone in men. Would you say the same? It was subtle until Viagra hit the market. <laughs> and then this drug became so popular and it, it men came out to say or were having erectile dysfunction in their 50s, sure, 40s, some in their 30s. Yeah, well. And so we got to see some of the ravages of modern life affect men as well. Mm -hmm. The toxicities and the re hormone receptor sites, but meanwhile, Men and women, we all get hormonal decline from when we're 20. By the time we're midlife, men and women have the hormonal decline, mm -hmm. some earlier and deeper than others. And so uh, it's it's really been wonderful also to treat men mm -hmm. uh, who, who are caring about re restoration of some basic function and drive there. Yeah. I think I hear sometimes in this conversation, and maybe you can confirm it or share a bit more on this point is that one of the reasons that we're seeing so much of this catastrophic demise of people's hormones, men and women across the board in all sorts of different countries, is because people once didn't live long enough to be in the state of menopause. Like once upon a time, they didn't live you know, beyond 50 or 60, right? And so they weren't really suffering. And part of me finds that hard to believe because I think there's lots of evidence for people living long lives for thousands of years and that the reason the birth the, the death rate was so low is because so many babies died and one of the big steps of progress for average life expectancy was actually that we improved neonatal care right um, and the ability for birthing mothers not to die and uh, babies not to die and so I struggle sometimes to think that we've never had women until the last 50 years or 100 years live to menopause age what, what are your thoughts there? 
Well, I don't know what the truth is there, and I'm a little befuddled myself. But here's what I do know. I think for generations and generations, women and men moved what they would consider to be gracefully into old age, and they were still active. And so, yes, maybe they lost some function there, but they weren't talking about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, they weren't talking about their intimate life. And then this, there's this whole new era where people are being honest and also discovering that intimacy is sometimes needed to happen midlife when we finally figure out how to do a relationship. And so I think there's been more and more interest and more and more interest in health and vitality and more and more interest in trying to dodge some of the deleterious effects of modern life that are all too available to us. And so health-conscious people and healing people, they're the ones who have emerged and, and, and free to talk about it. People are not afraid to talk about uterus and penis and and uh, intimacy and uh, I'm losing my libido. And whereas the preceding generation was a lot more quiet about that. Yeah, it was very shame based, that kind of stuff formerly. Yeah. So and I think as well, maybe possibly going back maybe a couple of hundred years or maybe a thousand years, maybe the human body was less you know, less of a private vessel in the sense that we were tribal. We weren't wearing many clothes. It was normal for the community to bathe together in the river. And it's it's interesting that over the course of time, as clothing has become more prevalent and also the segregation of individual families, that the human body has become more of an embarrassment or a shame piece than it has like, this is just my body, which is really similar to yours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot widespread acceptance of a natural, active, and vis socially visible natural aging process and a lot of physical activity and a lot of decent food without the, the toxins in it mm. and a lot of clean air and a lot of clean water. I think in, in many ways, they were more vigorous. Yeah. They were healthier. Mm -hmm. They did live longer because they weren't actually faced with some of the perils of sedentariness and polluted food that's really sort of looks like a facsimile of food, but it's not. And you know this one so well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, even just living in a city and breathing the air, there's so much stuff in the air. And, you know, even when you're walking on the grass, sometimes the grass has been covered in glyphosate, you know, and so it's, it's just, in, it feels inescapable and overwhelming to be like, how can I actually be a healthy person? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess the question is from there, is that with the idea that it, you know, it feels overwhelming and intimidating, my question is, what can people do or maybe where do people start that are starting to move into perimenopause or menopause and they are feeling really out of control and they're like, I live in a city, I've got a job, you know, I've got a stressful life and maybe this is where bioidentical hormones are sort of the get out of jail free card possibly, but where do people begin? Well, they begin when in midlife the hormone levels have declined to the point, and these are the most powerful biochemicals in our body, that we start getting symptomatic. 85% of women have some real life-stopping symptoms. Can't sleep, mood issues, loss of libido, loss of vaginal health, loss of muscle strength, and men, we have our own counterpart to that. And so it's not a quiet slipping into the night. It's like midlife these things show up for a lot of folks. Mm -hmm. And the job becomes 
to find someone who's knowledgeable about hormones because it's the most poignant and effective thing you can possibly do to affect your energy, to affect your weight, to affect your mood, to affect your libido, your vagina, your erectile ability. These are powerhouses, and without them, we don't function. But they drive us. That loss of function inspires many women and many men to go, I got to do something about this. This is serious. And what they need to do is find, they have to go shopping for a provider who knows their stuff and knows about hormones and is really focused in on the hormone space. Interestingly enough, I have just trained two nurse practitioners in Australia. Right. One in Perth and one in, uh, I think she's near Sydney. Right. Uh, Yeah. And they can do telemedicine, of course. And so that's what you need. You need someone who really cares about getting good at hormones. They're going to know the right things to do, and they're going to be able to guide you. That's the main job of people is they're getting declining motivation, declining muscle strength, declining sexual function. Find the the right person to work with. They'll know what to do. They'll know how to guide you. You'll get back on the horse. Mm -hmm. And with what they're going to guide you on, I know that I guess – maybe I don't know is the wrong phrase, but the conversation that often comes up in my mind about bioidentical hormone therapy is this sort of debate between, you know, I've got this desire or this romanticization of the past um, that, you know, surely there's a natural way to do this. Surely that we can get there naturally. Do you think that's true? Or do you think that we really are in such a toxic world that we have to use medication in order to be able to get there and be on medication for the rest of our lives? There's a great question. It has a little moving, few moving parts to it. For one thing, again, the hormones to choose become part of the issue. Mm-hmm. And but the main issue is the hormone depletion. And there's four ovarian hormones that deplete, and you can throw thyroid into that. And maybe I'm, I'm missing the point of your question here. And there's testosterone for men and also thyroid to consider. Mm-hmm. So doing it naturally, that was your question. Yeah, here's what natural is. Because I'm a, I'm a doctor and I get to see people at all ages. I got to work with women with uh, infants in their womb. Mm-hmm. And all the way to the 80 and 9 years old. In medical school, I heard this startling thing. You know, you're senior medical students, you know thousands of diagnoses. Let me tell you what's really happening to old people. They're losing their muscle. They're losing their bone. They can't walk with stability. They fall and fracture their hip and die. You want to do something for old people? You got to help them walk and not fall. You got to help them with their muscles and their bones. That's why they're winding up in assisted living facilities in nursing homes, that's why they got to leave home. And then there's a certain number that are losing their cognitive ability. So I see this other end of life. And it is very few exceptions. There's very few people who are making it through walking and talking and not going into assisted living facilities and nursing homes. That's my goal in life, to not do that. <laughs> exactly. And they so people think, well, I'm going to go in there natural now. Why are they doing that as never before? Well, we have a ten, a love of natural, and that's a beautiful thing. But a lot of it is 
This world received a misogynistic body blow that is tough to explain. But in 2002, there was the false reporting of a study that said that women who took hormones had an increased risk for breast cancer. Mm, That's such a common concern. That was not in the study. It was the Women's Health Initiative. It scared women all over the world. It scared healthcare providers. So a lot of this, I want to go natural in women, has to do with they're scared and they don't want to put themselves in risk for breast cancer. So I'd like to clarify this with you, if it's okay, Maddie, you clarify it with your audience. Yeah, of course. That we're all at risk for thousands of diagnoses. We're all at risk for hundreds of cancers. As a male, there's an increased relative risk for prostate cancer, and that's different than it was in the past. It didn't used to be that was more prevalent cancer than other cancers. And for women, they're at risk for breast cancer, and that's an increased relative risk over other cancers for them. And that didn't used to be when I was in medical school, even. And there's reasons for that. But given that we're all at risk, here's the science. Women who are treated with hormones are at less risk for breast cancer, heart attack, and stroke than women who go untreated. That's the actual science. Now, I can back that up. Uh, your, Your whole audience is welcome to download a free PDF copy of my book, Happy Healthy Hormones. Chapter three, I dive into risk. And I point those who really want the science to a, a, a wonderful book that talks about this risk in great scientific detail. That's the science. Mm. Same for men. There's a, some funky false knowledge out there, a rumor that men who take testosterone are at greater risk for prostate cancer. The opposite is true. The men, it's the men with the low testosterone who have the increased risk for the prostate cancer. And worse than that, it's the men with the low testosterone that when they get the prostate cancer, it's more vicious, it's more life-threatening, whereas men who take testosterone are at less risk for prostate cancer. So that's the actual science, Manny. So picture this, right? Unlocking your potential, conquering emotional eating, and gaining insights directly from a health and nutrition expert such as myself. That's what we do inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group, which is currently free to join. If you've ever felt trapped by food challenges, struggled with maintaining a healthy lifestyle, or yearned for a community that understands the reasons why you've yo-yo dieted for years, then there's a new chapter waiting to be written. And this is your chance to start writing it by joining us all on Facebook Lives, on engaging posts that push you out of your comfort zone and into growth, and Q&A sessions with me. All of this works as a platform to begin changing your emotional eating problems for good. Oh, and also, as a special gift, you receive my transformative How to Turn Food into Self-Confidence ebook. And that's also for free. I get it. Skepticism might linger. You might think, Maddie, I've heard these ads and I'm not sure. Well, at least a quarter of the members inside the Healthy Mums Collective Facebook group have been paying clients of my emotional eating program at some point over the last three or four years. So if you're not sure, you can post in the group and ask to find out if I'm the real deal or not. It's totally up to you. To join us in the free Healthy Mums Collective and to end your emotional eating and feel good in your own skin and begin that journey, pop down to the show notes below, click the link and breeze through three simple entry questions. Join today and let's embark on a journey of growth and empowerment. The link is in the show notes below.
Yeah, thank you for clearing that up. It's a common concern from women mostly that I hear, yeah, about causing breast cancer, which is, but I also know that a lot of hormone experts are really vocal about debating that. So I really appreciate you clearing that up. And the other thing I think that we fall into when it comes to medication is that if that's the only variable we're changing and we still get cancer or we, you know, we were destined to get cancer anyway, it's highly likely that the variables that caused cancer were never changed. And adding in some hormone therapy isn't going to change that variable because you still live in a city, you never go to the gym, you don't eat good food, and you know they're far more likely to be cancer-causing over periods of time than you know hormone therapy, right? You're hunkering down on something that I so appreciate, that cancer has causes, and a lot of them, and they occur as insults day after day after day over a lifetime. And they all come down to what you're eating, what you're breathing, what you're thinking, how you're living, and the toxins you're exposed to, and the exercises you do or don't do, Mm -hmm. and your ability to navigate with your own emotions in your mind and to grow mentally and emotionally so that you can live a happy life. These are causes, and they do matter, and they cause all kinds of illnesses. And then when things really go awry, you lose your immune system, you're not fending off from the natural cancer defense mechanisms, and you get something serious like a cancer. But they're all explainable on what you just said. It's all coming from this other stuff. It's not coming from hormones. It is coming from something. Yeah. And there's a lot of things it's coming from. Yeah, it's so refreshing to hear a doctor talk this way. And and it's reminiscent you know, touching on the emotions and that type of thing. It's very reminiscent of Bruce Lipton's work. Do you know Bruce? I know about Bruce, yes. I've heard his name for decades and decades. Uh, we had him on episode 251, I think, of the podcast. Wow. And it was just basically the idea of how your brain creates disease within the body and, and the thoughts, you know, the thoughts and the molecules that are produced as a result of those stressful, painful thoughts. And Ah, I think the two of you hanging out would have an incredible conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I guess another question I'm really curious to ask is that there's a separation that people may or may not know about between the types of hormone therapy or the types of products that are created, right? There's the, the compounding or the compounded hormones, and then there's your sort of pharmaceutical hormones. Can you talk to us about the difference and pros and cons of each? Yeah, it's like any discipline in any part of life. 500 years ago, maybe you got the initial thing that works, and then you keep improving it if you're paying attention. Like the Chinese brought in hormone treatment a 1,000 years ago. It's documented. Mm -hmm. And what they did is they collected the urine of young women and dried it out and gave it to the women and collected the urine of young men and dried it out because there's hormones in the urine, and a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And then things got better than that. Well, better, I don't know. The pharmaceutical industry stepped in in the 1940s and knew that there was a big demand for people in midlife and menopause. And instead of using human urine, although there was a brief foray into that, they started collecting the urine of pregnant horses, loaded with hormones, pregnant mares. And it had a ton of estrogens, half of which the human being had. And they called it Premarin. And there was another one called Prempro. And that got widespread distribution. That became the most popular and profitable drug of all time. 
up until the 2002 scare. Well, there was 18 million American women on hormones, 40% of those in menopause, and it fell to one or two million. Wow. But these women, so many of them were desperate. And they did a study in 2016 in America where 6 million now were being treated and over half of them had found their way to compounded bioidentical hormones. Because in the 1980s, of Dr. Dear friend and colleague of mine, Jonathan Wright in the United States, and uh, a, a dear pharmacist friend in the early 80s, they both had the idea, do we really want to use Premarin when we think there's molecularly pure hormones out there? We know they're being manufactured. And they set out, one of them was a pharmacist, and he found the pure estradiol powder, the pure estriol powder, the pure testosterone powder that are being manufactured. Same molecule as what was produced in the ovary or the testicles. And why did the pharmacist do it? Because his wife went into menopause and she was totally debilitated, so he figured it out for her. Right. And Jonathan Wright figured it out for his patients. And by the time I came on the scene in the early 90s, I went, gee, let's see, horse urine or same molecule, natural, from plants, it's plant-derived. I thought, I'm, I'm going to go with this other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Just because I had a bent for natural and healthy. And, and sure enough, these compounding pharmacists, they can make up anything you want as far as precise individualized treatment. And we're so different, one man to another. We, are, we vary so much in how much we need, how much we absorbed, how sensitive we are to things. Women vary so much as to how much estrogen they need, what type. But it's no problem because you can start with low doses and gradually increase and be very precise about your prescription. Bioidentical hormones give this flexibility. Mm. that they can, you can dial a person in. It takes about two to three months to get them really on board once they've had symptoms. And then we've taken it one step further. The best way to deliver estradiol, estriol is biased, and there's reasons for that. And the best way to do it is deliver it in topical form, along with testosterone for males and females. Best way to deliver it is in topical form, they used to put it up in gels. They still do. But we invented a, a pure certified organic oil to put them in. Right. What kind of oil is it? It's jojoba. Ah, yes. And we have patents on it in the United States, Canada, and Australia. Great. That's fantastic. <laughs> Which is we're trying to get to Australia as fast as we can. That's <laughs> well, why I'm so excited. Well, hopefully I can help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was so excited that these two nurse practitioners are taking our training program. Yeah. And uh, they're, exp they're trying to get the oils over to uh, Australia, and we're, we're working on it as we speak. Nice. But at any rate, that, that core thing of having the same molecule, why not do what nature did? So it's just been an improvement thing. Women who are on Premarin, you know, they did better than the other women, and they were at less risk for breast cancer than women who were not on horse urine-derived estrogen. Yeah. That stuff did a lot of good on this planet. But things improved, and they kept on improving. And now, my God, you can get same molecule. You can dial it in with the same balance that your body loves, different from your neighbor, and you can get it in organic oils. Sounds perfect.
That's what I take. I put this on every morning after my shower, my testosterone. Yeah. Well, it's funny with men, um, but and possibly women too, that there's that idea that um taking testosterone is like it's a performance enhancing drug that bodybuilders use and it's got a bit of a reputation, right? It does, and that's been a problem. But here's the thing. Every single man and every single woman on this planet under needs testosterone. Women have more testosterone in their body than they have at the most potent estrogen. And they need it for muscles, and they need it for libido, and they need it for natural mood. Testosterone is not a uh, male hormone. It's a human hormone. And we men need it too. In case anyone wondered whether we needed testosterone, we do. What came up as you were talking there for me was, um, like you know, as you were saying about the testosterone. It's I think there's so many signs of men's mental health challenges, and sort of you could even argue the entire feminizing of society or masculinity over the last forty or fifty years, and that can be attributed to social progress and the feminist movement and maybe a few other things, but. I think it's often overlooked that testosterone being catastrophically low in this era and the average being low and even the quote unquote healthy status when you go to the average GP is actually, you know, it's just the middle of the population at large and the population at large is already really low. And so maybe there's an answer there. And I've I've had this conversation, I think a few times on the podcast, but maybe there's an answer to men's suicide rates and depression rates and mental health rates if they actually start feeling like, you know, the men that they once were. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's highly significant. And these hormones are so mood-related and hope or drive or natural aggression. They're so related. And I know what I wanted to address. Yeah, testosterone got a bad name because it was abused. You give a young man additional testosterone and you throw him off and you can make him infertile? Mm-hmm. And you can you can contribute to his demise, his erectile demise, right? But because he's already at a peak level of testosterone, and he, yeah, he wants to work out more and get washboard abs. But if you do excessive hormone amounts, they're so powerful that they're deleterious. But that's not who we're talking about. We're talking about the other four billion males on this planet (laughs) who they're not thinking about working out. They're thinking about mood and drive and erection. Mm, A good indicator. That's how they know. When a a young man uh, loses his morning erection, that's not too bad, but that's your first signal, folks, that your testosterone has dropped. And when you start getting into erectile dysfunction, which is so prevalent, your testosterone is way too low for your body. Yeah. And it has so many other effects that that's the time to really start getting interested in it. Yeah. Very good indicator. And one that is easy to pick up on. Um, you know, some of the others can take a very long time, but that one is instant. That's right. <laughs> you know whether it's happening or it's not. That's right. <laughs> for women in perimenopause, because it seems perimenopause is starting earlier and earlier and earlier. When is the right time to begin looking into hormone therapy? Because do you start in the perimenopause phase and slowly increase as they move into menopause across a period of years, or do you wait until menopause begins? No, absolutely. Our general approach is, God, whenever a, men- a woman can get interested. 
And we've treated women in their mid 80s, like my own mother, who finally let me be her doctor. <laughs> Whenever you get interested, that's your time. But the optimal time is the earliest time. And, and it's happening in younger women all the time. Mm-hmm. Like you got a, I'm treating two women in their 20s. They've, they're working with the challenges in their life, and, but they're very strong. But they've got this weird anxiety. Mm-hmm. And why do they have it? Because they're not ovulating. They're not producing progesterone, the great calmer. So there's some symptoms that young women in their 20s and 30s, 30s is more common, 40s is really common. If you if you were regularly menstruating like a clockwork and all of a sudden you start getting irregular or if you had not your periods were not that challenging but now you're starting to get cramps and heavy flow and breast tenderness you're getting mood alterations you're already getting into hormonal decline and imbalance and that's the best time when you can start before your testosterone is tanked, if you're a woman, that's a good thing. Because yeah. all your all women's testosterone is going to tank in menopause, all of it, 100%. And then, but if you can ke- pick up them when that progesterone is declining and that estrogen is declining and start treating in your 30s or 40s, whenever that's starting to reach out. Well, if you don't know, one thing you do is download the PDF copy of my book because I'm describing the symptoms to you. And sometimes that symptom list is a surprise. Women go, God, an explanation. My mood was wobbling and I didn't even get it. My normal natural aggression and be able to make decisions was waning and I, it slipped up on me and I didn't even know it. My libido, which used to be pretty good, is declining. Mm-hmm. And it was just creeped up on me and I was telling myself all this stuff. Well, that's the optimal time. So as early as you can get it, but whenever you get it, <laughs> men and women, whenever you get it, that's the time. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm curious if you've got any experience with, um, and you touched on it with, you know, say bodybuilders and people that are jacking up their testosterone, you know, super high. And then there's obviously the stories of when you do that, you atrophy your testicles. And so men's testicles get smaller. But I'm curious... What are the risks? Because I feel like with a lot of medications, there's like the honeymoon period, right? Where everybody's talking about it. Everybody's got benefits. And and it's happened with almost every drug that's been relatively successful. And then there's a period of, say, five years of great information. And then slowly, and these days with social media, you'll start hearing the podcasts and you'll start hearing the stories of the bad stuff, the bad side of these things, the dark side of these things. And one that's really coming up in the hormone space lately is ashwagandha because a lot of men have used ashwagandha um, for as part of their testosterone journey and only to come off it and realizing that it's basically the absence of ashwagandha is causing emotionlessness, like it's blocking serotonin um, from happening. And they're, they're essentially ashwagandha dependent. But ashwagandha for about five years that I was aware of was going through this amazing, it's amazing for testosterone and stress levels phase. So I'm curious what your maybe predictions or concerns are for what might come out the other side in this sort of hormone space that is possibly worth being concerned about? Excellent question. And I'd like to unpack it. It's got several moving parts. Let's do it. <laughs> One of them is the, the world of molecules can be divided into two things for the human being. It's either food or it's medicine. Food contains molecules that are in your body. 
medicine contains molecules that aren't in your body. And if you take those molecules in, your body's going to react to them. So whether it's herbs or pharmaceutical medications, these are medicines and your body's going to react to them. And we capitalize on that reaction. But the whole tr deal with medicine is the best you can do is you take the right medicine at the right dose for the right amount of time because you're going to throw your body into a reaction. And in that case, they can be su supremely useful. Ashwagandha, yes, it's natural, so to speak, but it is a medicine. Mm -hmm. And if you take a medicine in the wrong dose, you're going to throw your body off. Your body's going to react to it. And that's what you're really describing is you might think it's an innocent little uh, herb, but they're strong. Yeah, And we can capitalize on that strength but you want the best of the herbalists to help you capitalize on the strength. You want their input. They're out there. There are people who have devoted their life to herbal medicine. If you're going to take it, you want to be guided by these people in the proper way. Hormones are not molecularly different. They're the same. So there is no zero side effects. Unless you mess up with the dosing. Because they're so strong <laughs> yeah. that if you overdose on a hormone, you can give yourself a written guarantee that over the long run, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. If you don't take enough hormone, it, you're doing something good, but you're going you're gonna, to, like if you don't take, if a woman doesn't take enough estrogen, and this happens commonly, she takes some estrogen, she gets rid of her hot flashes, and she said, I must be fine because my symptoms gone away. No. 50% of those women who do not take enough estrogen but alleviate their symptoms, they wind up losing bone and vagina. They didn't take enough. Wow. It's one of the most common errors in, in hormone treatment by people who don't know what they're doing is they fall shy because they've alleviated the symptoms. Yeah. If you take too much of something, well, you named <laughs> numero uno for men. If you're, if you're a young man and your body's producing a nice, rich amount of testosterone, but you want to get ab, washboard abs and you jack it up and you're taking more than your body's used to, your body goes, wait a minute, um, this is not healthy. This is too strong. I'm going to do some protective measures to get my numbers. It's not thinking in numbers, but it is thinking in amount. <laughs> To get myself back to normal, these things are too strong to be excessive. So what can it do? It can either throw out the pill, the testosterone pill you're taking, or it can make you throw it up, or it can uh, stop you from using the cream. Well, no, it can't do any of this or the injections. Or what it can do is it can shut off your own testicles. Yeah. Shut them down. And so... The story you told about the shrinking testicles is absolutely real. You overtreat a man with testosterone, you're going to shrink his testicles. That's a certainty. I have seen these men. This happens. Yeah. That's why you want to get with someone who really knows the many moving parts, who knows how to administer it, knows what good dosages are, know how to do the right tests so you're not building up too much estrogen and you're not shrinking your testicles. <laughs> yeah. And it can get worse than that. Yeah. These hormones are so strong. Yeah. The worst example I ever saw was the replenishing of cortisol. Okay. In the 1950s, 
the cortisol was discovered and uh, doctors were shoveling it out the doors because people loved it because so many people had lessened cortisol that they felt so much better when they got cortisol and they even got high on it. Wow. Yeah. And then, but they were really in so many cases causing overdose. They wound up with osteoporosis. They wound up with a big hump on their back. They wound up with moon faces. They suppressed their immune system. These hormones are so strong that if they're in overdose, they're going to harm. If you take too much estrogen, you could overstimulate breast glandular tissue and get much larger breasts than you really want. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense to me in in the sense that um, we know that being stressed all of the time can eventually lead to problems, cancers, different things, too much adrenaline, too much cortisol. And so even from self-manufacture, that can be evident. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, no. In fact, that self-manufacture, that overdrive, where you're not just responding elegantly to the emotional ups and downs or the stresses of life, you're functioning in a way that you're triggering the biology of fight or flight. You're jacking up that cortisol and that adrenaline. You're going to put on a cortisol belly, previously known as a beer belly. You're going to get insulin resistance. You're going to get arteriosclerosis. You're going to run into so many troubles. Better you should do the great work of really exploring what you need to heal your emotions and your mind and 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 get get it down to where you get to where you're responsible for your own pain and you stop projecting it on others and we stop this division in this world where we think someone else is the problem or our spouse is the problem they don't love me enough or whatever you think and you get it down to what you did i so salute you for it thank you it's it's the most honorable thing that men are doing and it's the most courageous thing i appreciate that i appreciate that it's still a challenge <laughs> Yes. Yes, it is. But it's the great work. Yeah. And its rewards are enormous. Look how happy you are. I hope you don't mind me making some comments. No, that's totally fine. I appreciate that. Some editorial. Look how sparkling and happy you are. That was probably a combination of who you are and the work you did. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And yeah, like you said, taking responsibility um, for everything and sort of go through the stages of that journey where you're blaming and you're judging and, you know, you're handing off the responsibility. And, and I think part of that's necessary to get some of that anger and, and resentment out of the system. And then you realize after that, when that emotion has moved a little, you're like, oh, what's left? Just me and my, I'm with myself. <laughs> so I better make this a relatively decent place to live, this head of mine. <laughs> <laughs> so I've loved this conversation, David. Thank you so much for your time. Me too, Manny. Me too. Thank you. I think we could possibly have a number of them, so possibly we come back again soon. I know. It's such a co-creation, you know. It's such a synergy. It totally is. So for everybody listening that also now loves you, uh, where can they find you? Well, uh, for on bright.live, B-R-I-T-E dot live. And they can download a free PDF copy from whatever link that you provide. Mm -hmm. I can do that. I will put all of the links in the show notes below for everybody. So please scroll down, click the links and get involved in David's world. And if you've got menopause or perimenopause or low testosterone or any of those signs, David is your man. So jump onto those links. Before we finish, David, I've got one more question, which is if there's one piece of health information you wish more people knew about, what would that be? Well, we've been talking about it, and it's so central, and it's such a critical time in the planet Earth. 
where we as individuals need to heal ourselves and stop being divided. There is no enemy. We are, we're all one here. And I know it might sound trite, but to really know that and to really reawaken your ability to sense and feel love and to see the miracle we're living in, I had to do a, an, a lot of work. I had to face my repressed emotions. I had to acquire information and skills that let me do it in a safe way with a lot of help. There's a lot of resources out there now. And I encourage everyone to do the great work so we can back this world away from war and get to enjoy in some generation the Garden of Eden we're actually living in here. I think that's profound advice and I totally agree. And a lot of this podcast is uh, based in that idea and very much how I got to the idea of emotional eating um, through you know, cancer and then nutrition and then finally to, oh, if we fix upstairs, how we do anything is how we do everything and then hopefully everything else will fix. So thank you so much for being here. Very grateful for your time and your energy um, and hopefully we'll catch up with you really soon. Thank you, Maddie. No worries. Bye. Bye. Hey, thanks for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this episode or learnt anything at all, the gift of your five-star rating would be incredibly helpful. And what's even more powerful is if you write a review. You can do it below each episode on Spotify every time an episode comes out. And inside Apple Podcast, simply find the main page of this show with all the episodes on it, scroll to the bottom, hit write a review, share your amazing feedback, and then hit send. It helps this show grow tremendously and allows me to successfully invite bigger and more famous guests each time we do the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you for helping us climb the charts, climb the algorithm and help more people. Oh, and by the way, I have a short disclaimer as well. I just wanted to quickly remind you that the information provided on this podcast is for general informational purposes only. While we strive to bring you accurate and up-to-date content, it's important to note that a lot of this is mixed with opinions, stories, and ideas not supported by mainstream science or medicine. Any advice or suggestions should not be considered a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always consult a healthcare provider before making any decisions about the health and wellness of you and your family. Remember too that what works for one person may not work for another. And just as we promote on the show, each person is responsible for their own health decisions. Thank you for tuning in to the How to Not Get Sick and Die podcast. And now, the next episode. Here it is.